I have to remember, of course, that speaking in Irish, that Nelson Mandela did indeed uh, learn Afrikaans during the period of his incarceration. Ara is a ari chiotidola builden rock as a guinusulus accordia. May I just first of all say, what, uh, uh, may I thank you, John, for that introduction, and may I say what a great pleasure it is to see so many people who have been, I know, had been interested in Africa for a very long time here, here this afternoon. I, I want to take the opportunity of commending through John McMahon the Office of Public Works for providing a fine example of public service through the presentation and protection of our heritage and our history and to all of the people who have worked to make this such a splendid place for people to, to visit and remember. Uh, the exhibition celebrates the life of Nelson Mandela. And the exhibition examines themes which define in many ways his life uh, as a leader, as a comrade in struggle, as a negotiator, as a prisoner, and as a statesman. And it highlights, too, the strength, breadth, and depth of Ireland's relationship with South Africa, from Ireland's support for the anti apartheid movement. And I have to say that support began with the brave efforts of principled opponents of racism. And it evolved then to become an agreed position of both government and opposition. As I look here, and I see Joan here, and Pash here, and Rodney, and all of the others. These are the people who, in fact, spoke of Africa and spoke of the, of, of the importance of opposing uh, uh, racism and apartheid. I think that support that they offered in that time has a significant place among the foundation stories of the vibrant friendship that exists between Ireland and South Africa today. And what a great pleasure it is to welcome the Minister and to welcome the other representatives of South Africa and this museum here this evening. The earliest pioneers in struggle and in solidarity with struggle, they deserve our eternal recognition and gratitude. And I'm delighted that Trevor Manuel, who is one of the key ANC figures involved in the fight against apartheid and in the governments of President Mandela and Mbeki in helping to build South Africa. I'm so pleased that he is here with us today. To the Irish who worked in solidarity, may I say again how heartening it is to see so many of you here tonight as I was looking, uh, was looking around. You who worked, organised and protested in Ireland against apartheid and in support of our South African brothers and sisters. And while we formally honour Madiba tonight, it tonight also recalls your contribution, individually and collectively, to righting one of the great wrongs of the last century. We are assembled here in a jail which holds a most important place in the history of Ireland's long and unremitting struggle for independence. This place of incarceration and execution for so many of those who fought for Irish freedom is a symbol not only of defiance and courage, but also we must never forget of profound sacrifice by men and women, made not for any small or partial version of nationalism, but for a generous vision of an enlarged freedom capable of encompassing all those seeking liberty and self-determination wherever they lived on our planet. It is then most appropriate 
that this venue is now hosting an exhibition celebrating the life of one of the great champions of human freedom, dignity and equality of the past century. Thinking about the connections between Ireland and South Africa and our separate but related journeys towards freedom and justice, it brings to mind again, and it was quoted in the other evening, Isar Skol Kela Waranini, literally meaning we live in each other's shadow, or put in another way, we rely on each other for shelter, Skol meaning both shadow and shelter, and our impact on each other can be positive or negative. This creates immediate moral responsibilities which exist in the future in relation to trade, not just in relation to aid, but in relation to foreign relations. And it speaks to me of the interconnectedness of the human experience, not only between those of us who share a nation or a continent, but the connections that have a global reach. The struggle for Irish freedom was one of a series of struggles for freedom that served as an inspiration to the peoples of other colonies to cast off the yoke of empire. The struggles of South Africans to rid themselves of the tyranny of apartheid reinvigorated the global quest for justice and equality, and above all it addressed the poison of racism that based itself on little less than notions of lesser and superior peoples based on colour. On his first visit to Ireland in July 1990, shortly after his release from prison, but before the shape of the new South Africa had become clear, Nelson Mandela, speaking to the joint meeting of the Houses of the Oireachtas, spoke of how Ireland had given him something very precious, hope. He said, the very fact that there is today an independent Irish state, however long it took to realise the noble goals of the Irish people in bringing it into being, confirms that we too shall become a free people. We too shall have a country which will, as the great Irish patriot said in the proclamation of 1916, cherish all the children of the nation equally. In a complicated and violent world, it is surely appropriate now too that the duty and responsibility for this generation of renewal and sustenance of hope is recalled. Nelson Mandela himself returned a version of that hope to us in his support for our peace process. I think that was that vindication of hope is his very special legacy to us. His lifetime in service of that duty, we honour tonight. For those in the global north who opposed apartheid, and some came more slowly than others. And I think Nelson Mandela, through his thoughts and actions, represents a moral fulcrum, a reminder, a summoning to demonstrate our solidarity with the people of South Africa, in their current and future circumstances. The contours of his life, a life lived in the full glare of the public gaze, are so well known to those who sought to support his struggle, chronicled as they were by Mandela himself in his remarkable memoir, Long Walk to Freedom. But we are called upon not merely to indulge a curiosity, but to accept the challenge of facing the question, what are the difficulties of post-colonial transition? and what new solidarities are called for. I think Franz Fanon, writing, I think, in the 1960s, said, what is called the Third World is a mass whose project should be to remind Europe of how they might achieve that in which Europe has failed. There is a moral lesson, too, to be drawn, I think, from the reluctance and hesitancy that there was there 
to condemn apartheid. It reflects what Seamus Heaney might have called a collaboration of the silent. In our times, we cannot be silent on the absence of such forms of international collaboration as would achieve what has been in the aspirations of so many freedom movements, justice, equality, and the real freedom in society that cohesion makes possible. Nelson Mandela's life was emblematic of a long struggle for freedom waged through what would be termed Jawaharlal Nehru as the third world. The, those newly independent nations that had won self-determination from the empires of Europe in the 1950s and 60s. And they would create a glorious moment of promise in that discussion and discourse that was shared by many leaders in relation to the Third World, the formation of UNCTAD, a particular attitude in relation to the United Nations, which sadly would pass away and be replaced by another paradigm of thought which has prevailed since the end of the 1980s. And that is where Ireland is called into being. We must always support UNCTAD, and we must recover a moment in which we can come together again and bring the new paradigm of international relations into being. And some of those who visit the exhibition, no doubt, may look and find it difficult to understand the confidence, the arrogance, the hubris of the South African state in those times, and the brash manner in which it paraded ideas of racial superiority, confident that its loudly declared anti-communism would keep it enmeshed with the emerging post-war Western alliance. It made progress in too many areas with that strategy. The events of Sharpeville in 1960 demonstrated to the world the brutality and depravity of the apartheid regime. 69 people were shot by police while protesting against the pass laws. That terrible word, the pass, which were used to control and restrict the movements of non-white people. The state quickly imposed a state of emergency and banned the ANC in response to the, to the repression. Amkantawe was formed to confront the apartheid state directly. And it was when Nelson Mandela and nine of his comrades, as you can see in this exhibition, were placed on trial for sabotage in the Rivonia trial that he first came to the attention of the world. Already imprisoned for incitement, Mandela was tried in conditions designed to ensure a conviction and the death penalty. The court sitting was held in Pretoria, Pretoria, then the ideological heart of the apartheid state. And the statement that he gave to the court on the 20th of April 1964, part of which is in this exhibition, of course it cannot be truly called a defence, for there were in truth, from an ethical and moral perspective, no charges to answer. It was rather a declaration of principles, a remarkable articulation of an egalitarian political and social vision. He said, our fight is against real and not imaginary hardships, or to use the language of the state prosecutor, so-called hardships. We fight against two features which are the hallmarks of African life in South Africa, and which are entrenched by legislation which we seek to have repealed. These features are poverty and lack of human dignity. And Nelson Mandela finished his statement to the court with a remarkable rhetorical display of moral vision and moral courage. During my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to the struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination, and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. 
But if needs be, it is an idea for which I am prepared to die. And that was no mere rhetoric. Of course, the price that would be paid, Nelson Mandela, would be in prison for 27 years. On Robben Island, he would be condemned to the punishment of breaking stones and quarrying in the limestone cliffs, a symbol of the gradual dismantling of the apartheid regime for a Medin, perhaps, but aimed at degradation. In those long twilight years, there was often cause for despair, and there were setbacks, under pressure from within and without, the racist state grew ever more oppressive and ever more aggressive before it fell, and it would take a great toll on peoples throughout southern Africa. To write about what was being delivered into the daily lives of the black people of South Africa took an extraordinary courage, and it extracted a high price. On viewing this exhibition yesterday, I thought of so many of those brave writers, Ruth First, whose writings those involved in solidarity movements tried to get and share among each other. Ruth, who with Joe Slovo suffered exile before her murder by a South African death squad in Mozambique in August 1982. The intensification of repression by the apartheid military in Namibia found its counterpart in the township of Soweto in 1976 when police murdered hundreds of protesting students and schoolchildren. Angola, Lesotho, Mozambique, Zimbabwe would all suffer destabilising attacks by the racist state for hosting and protecting ANC exiles. Solidarity took a terrible toll, a history perhaps that is too often forgotten here in Europe, even as it is remembered and never to be forgotten in South Africa. So Nelson Mandela's story in that of South Africa is told very eloquently in this exhibition, better than I could possibly hope to summarise this evening, nor will I attempt to do so. But I do want to say a few words on the Irish involvement in the struggle against apartheid. The foundation of the Irish chapter of the anti-apartheid movement in 1964, by a good friend of so many of us, the late Caterasma, became a catalyst for real momentum on this issue in Ireland. The first secretary of the movement was Barry Desmond, who was at the time an official with the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, and the chair was the late Ernest Wood SC, a distinguished lawyer and champion of civil liberties. There were so many who helped when it really mattered. And you all know here this evening who you are, and you deserve our thanks, and I offer it to you. And we are honoured especially to have Carter's wife Louise and her son Adam present with us this evening. Welcome back to Dublin, your other home. Cadre and Louise and many of the other members of the Irish anti-apartheid movement here tonight worked tirelessly to build a truly inclusive movement against apartheid, which attracted politicians and priests, sportspersons and shopkeepers, and many, many others united against this inhumane regime. It was a movement that was, in so many respects, managed out of the Asmal home in Monkstown, but inspired and continually given energy by Mandela's spirit of principled resistance and respect for human rights and human dignity, which struck such a chord with an increasing number of the Irish people. And this sense of common humanity and shared values led thousands to join the anti-apartheid movement and to stand up against injustice. These dedicated volunteers campaigned to isolate South Africa at all levels, with notable successes in sporting, academic and cultural boycotts. 
The Springbok Rugby Tour to Ireland in 1970 was a pivotal movement, building huge momentum and intersecting with our new sense of determination and civil rights in Northern Ireland. And while the matches went ahead, the tour was marked by huge protests against the Springbok and indeed Irish teams for taking part, although there were exceptions, and against the apartheid regime. It was an impressive show of force and defiance by those of the Irish people who, believing their human rights and defensive dignity for all, should know no borders, were willing to demonstrate against a cruel regime far away. And the weather was very bad. I recall, for example, standing alongside Noel Brown with his little sign box, Go Home, as the rain poured down on us. And in Limerick, the late Jim Kimmy was staunch in defending the protest against what was an organised opposition to the gesture. For people of, of that generation, the struggle against apartheid was one of the great defining moral arguments of the second half of the 20th century, an issue which united people from Dublin to Durban, the utterly repugnant idea that one's race should determine one's prospects in life needed to be fought. And it was people like Carter and Louise who so graciously and fiercely gave authorship to that fight in Ireland. And so many others of you that I recognise here tonight and I remember from those days. A touchstone moment of the protest against apartheid in Ireland was of course the Dunstore strikers. When in July 1984, a group of workers, mainly young women in Duns and Henry Street, took a moral stand and refused to handle produce imported from South Africa. It was a utterly selfless act, and for this refusal they were suspended, thus marking the beginning of what would be an almost three-year battle by 12 determined and brave workers. The power of their protest and principal stand eventually led the Government of Ireland to ban South African goods from being sold in Ireland, and this ban remained in place until the end of the apartheid regime. So I acknowledge here tonight, as I did at the funeral of Nelson Mandela, the presence of Mary Manning and her colleagues, that courageous and principled woman who started that protest. I still recall when Sabine and I visited Robben Island in November 2014. We were guided around the prison by a former prisoner turned tour guide, Tulani Mabas. I remember him vividly describing how, hearing about these young women in Ireland who cared so much about their cause, had impacted on the inmates, giving them, he suggested, the strength and determination required to carry on. In our era, Scala Hela, Avina Dini, Reflecting on Ireland's contribution to the struggle, Mandela said again in 1990 For more than a quarter of a century, your country has had one of the most energetic and effective anti apartheid movements in the world. Irish men and women have given wholeheartedly and often sacrificial support for our struggle in the fields of economic, cultural, and sports relations. We therefore salute your sports people, especially the rugby players, your writers and artists, and the duns and other workers. In the 1980s, the force of growing international condemnation, sanctions and increasing civil unrest in South Africa brought the Nationalist Party to the negotiating table. And there is a lesson in that. 
During this time, the Asmal kitchen table in Monkstown took a starring role. It was there that Carter, with Albie Sachs, another prominent ANC member and lawyer, drafted the earliest version of what would become the South African Bill of Rights, a cornerstone of the constitution of the new South Africa. The final draft of the Bill of Rights is now regarded as one of the most progressive and just documents of its kind. And as Albis Banks put it, remembering that time, it was one of those pinch-me moments, knowing that we were entering into a whole new phase, not simply denouncing, imagining, mobilising, but beginning to craft the foundation of a new society. And when I spoke on the occasion of Africa Day two months ago, I recalled the long and complex history of Irish engagement with South Africa, a history towards which we should not affect any accommodating or selective amnesia. Many of the Irish men and women imprisoned in this jail 100 years ago had given their support to the cause of the Boer Republics in the South African Wars. Through their own prison, what they saw was a number of small republics heroically resisting a great imperial power, ignoring the terrible irony that these very same republics were brought into existence by the displacement of other peoples during and after the Great Trek. Every patriot Sean O'Casey would write at the time carries on the lapel of his coat a button picture of Kruger, Botha, Stein, Joubert, Drevet. By 1948, the National Party of South Africa could present itself as the representative of the African peoples, the true lineal descent of those republicans of the 1890s and 1900s. At that time, the Minister for External Affairs in Ireland was Sean McBride, whose father had received a commission from the South African Republic for his services in the South African Wars. And he was joined by 500 Irish and Irish Americans, while over 30,000 Irish soldiers had fought for British forces during the conflicts. Despite these ties of blood and friendships forged by politicians of the Irish Free State in South Africa, and the 60,000 South Africans claiming Irish descent at that time, the Irish state did not pursue any kind of constructive engagement with apartheid. Indeed, Sean McBride would later, as the United Nations Commissioner for Namibia in 1974, champion the national liberation struggle, then being waged by SWAPO, to the chagrin of both the apartheid regime and its allies. Sean McBride would become a stalwart of the Irish anti-apartheid movement, and those of us who were involved faced a struggle at first, not against any stalwart opposition, but against, at times, an indifference, and what I think we could now view as lassitude in the official position, despite the active involvement of so many politicians across the political spectrum in Ireland. To us, the moral demand issued from Robben Island required nothing less than the ending of all forms of collaboration with apartheid. This was not only the policy of Nelson Mandela or the African National Congress, but let us recall it reflected public opinion throughout Africa and the Global South as then represented by the resolutions of those countries in the United Nations General Assembly for the imposition of active sanctions against the apartheid regime. And that is a glorious moment in the history of the United Nations, when there was hope in the delegations coming from Africa to New York. It was a time when the General Assembly was not subjugated to the vicarious decisions of the Security Council. Ireland had initially abstained on such motions, but in 1970, as a consequence of the activism of the anti-apartheid movement, Ireland became the first Western European state to support sanctions. In 1987, as I said earlier, 
The government acknowledged the moral strength of the drum or strikers, and Ireland became the first Western country to ban South African imports, invoking international labour organisation conventions, which enabled nation states to prohibit imports produced using forced labour, a policy practised by the apartheid state. And those capacities in the international labour organisation still remain for other circumstances. Ireland alone of the Western European nations did not open full diplomatic relations with South Africa until we were assured of the reality of a transition to democracy. And so as we celebrate this year the centenary of the birth of Nelson Mandela, we also celebrate the 25th anniversary of partnership between two democratic republics. Free South Africa has been in our difficult days in search of peace being a source of, of encouragement in Ireland. President Cyril Ramaphosa, with the former Finnish President Matteo Tassari, was among those who were instrumental in making the forging of peace in Ireland, being one of the rare political figures capable of engendering trust amongst a diversity of groups. The powerful example of reconciliation and forgiveness embodied so strongly by Nelson Mandela remains an enduring example today, particularly at this moment in the peace process in Northern Ireland. The relationship with South Africa has grown and matured. Our partnership is rooted in friendship. Our shared history of colonialism and struggle, the challenges we share in discovering, in it seeking to establish real and deep republics, our diverse and interwoven linkages will now also be focused on a sense of shared destiny, a shared determination to create a just and sustainable future for our peoples and our planet. And if we are to invoke the memory of Nansel Mandela today, I believe we must do so in the fullness of the challenges, taking into account what is achieved at such a great price, but also what remains to be delivered within one of the finest constitutional documents in the world. We must reflect, too, on our mutual failures and call up again the courage to create a harmonious connection in cohesion between people, society, economy, culture and ec ecology. And it is when the moment of international cooperation fades at the decline of the Third World Movement that one finds and sees the, resilient, the, res the recoil, as it were, to a nationalism that cannot deliver the international project which I have described. We face many challenges in this new century, many of them sourced in the very same injustices that Nelson Mandela sought to overcome. The terrible dangers presented by anthropogenic climate change, which threatens the livelihoods and very lives of so many people globally, which in the global south most immediately. The moral imperative of welcoming all those fleeing war, famine, natural disasters and persecution, and the threats to social cohesion and solidarity, presented by vast inequalities in income, opportunity, wealth and power, within and between nations. These challenges are vast. There is nothing inevitable, however, about them, and they are not overwhelming. They must be met with a sufficiency of courage, conviction, authenticity. Courage, too, I think equal to that demonstrated by Nelson Mandela. And they can only be met through fidelity to those values expressed in the Freedom Charter so many years ago. A commitment to economic and social justice, to deliberative democracy, to free and equal access to the machinery of politics, economic power and to education. And as a community of nations have made commitments to one another through the Paris Climate Accord and the Sustainable Development Goals in New York, two landmark agreements made in an all-too-rare spirit of international solidarity, we are all challenged 
those of us in the globe, and not most of all, to remain authentic to the solemn pledges that we have made in New York and in Paris. And in doing so, we must recognise that the world order needs to make room for the continent of Africa, the continent of the young, the continent of the future, a continent so often that looks to a free South Africa with all its intellectual and material resources for leadership. We must not only be trustworthy, but enthusiastic partners of South Africa, working together for a new international, sustainable international economic order. And we must work to to create space for the paradigms of thought and practice that will bring this into being. And I hope that so many Irish people will come to visit this exhibition and reflect. Some will be familiar with the story of Nelson Mandela and of the anti-apartheid movement. But for others, perhaps younger people, parts of the story may be new. But for all, it will be an inspiration and a summons to recover the idealism, courage and forgiveness too that Nelson Mandela evoked in himself and in others throughout his remarkable life. Gremina Mahaki Thank you.